0: Thank you. Is this on? Yes, it is on. It takes a special kind of courage to ask your mother-in-law to speak. <laughs> I have a few things here, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, when I was invited a few weeks ago, I immediately thought that I wanted to talk about prayer. Not the categorizations of prayer, although it's useful to think about worship and confession and adoration and thanksgiving, but not about that, not even about the Lord's Prayer, which is another wonderful talk, but about the walk we have with Jesus in our daily lives, the prayer that goes on all the time in our consciousness, or perhaps not for you, for some people, but perhaps not perhaps not for all. What I didn't know at the time that Andy asked me, I always call him Andrew, actually, Andrew asked me, um, was that it would be the week after Easter, I didn't know that you had been reading the book of Luke. So it's rather wonderful when scripture coincides, coincides, the whole word of God is wonderful, but when you actually have the scripture that coincides with what God has already been doing in the church. And I was already thinking I would base this talk on the road to Emmaus, on the way that Jesus drew near as two people were walking and talking. So it's lovely, isn't it, when the Spirit authenticates something like that. So, I'm not going to read the whole passage. Is it going to come up, do you know, good? Um, but I'm going to read parts of it, which is going to make hard work for whoever's handling the data, but, and refer to it bit by bit. I already feel, by the way, as if I've been really well fed this morning. So I hope you've still got a little bit of appetite left for this. <laughs> Now, on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognising him. That same day, just another day, was it? Just an ordinary same day? Actually, it was the greatest day in history. It was the day that Jesus burst forth from the tomb, as we've already been singing, conquering death, conquering sin. But not all the disciples had understood this yet. So we meet these guys still in the middle of their confusion. They were talking and discussing. Not surprising they were deep in discussion. But I don't think that is the reason why they didn't recognize Jesus. A little bit of research. I even got my Greek New Testament out. Whoa, it's many years (laughs) since I did that. Just to check. A little bit of research. And it says, actually, in many of the texts, they were prevented from seeing Jesus. Their eyes were holden in old-fashioned language. Why do you think this was? The reasons I'm going to give are only my own take on it. They may not be all of the reasons, but I do believe that Jesus knew their hearts. He knew that they were confused. He knew they were bewildered. Had he immediately burst forth along the road and said, Hi, guys, I'm Jesus, this, none of this story would have happened because they'd have been so amazed that they'd all run back to Jerusalem together or something. So. In fact, he deliberately kept his identity from them. Do you think perhaps it was because he knew how confused they were and he knew that having been the one that they had looked to for help and for inspiration before his death, they wouldn't really have been able to tell him about their doubts and fears. He's he's the Lord. We don't want to share our doubts. It's a bit embarrassing to be able to say, you know, that we didn't really believe you were going to do this. They couldn't have poured their hearts out to him quite so freely. Do you think that speaking to a stranger might have helped them to be more honest? The respect they had for his leadership might have made them mask their confusion, but here they can tell him exactly what they feel. What might they have done at this point if he hadn't shown up at all? You can imagine this conversation these two guys are having. Well, they do say, some of them, that, um, that he wasn't in the tomb. But we were so longing for something to happen. Do you remember what happened to John the Baptist? That came to nothing. Yeah, and do you know that some of those disciples close to Jesus ran off when he was arrested? No way. I never did think much of Nathaniel, but Peter? Yeah, but look at Judas, the one who managed the money. Hmm, you do have to be careful, don't you? Sometimes as Christians, I think, we can talk each other down quite easily when we have doubts and fears and confusion, when Jesus doesn't seem to be, doing very much. And we can talk ourselves down into a spiral of negatives. I guess Jesus knew all about this. He knew what was in their hearts. And that's only an assumption of mine. It may be unfair to them. Let's go and look at the next part of the scripture, if we may. And he said to them, thank you, this is a much longer bit, "'What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk?' And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, "'Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem "'who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? "'Have you been on another planet?' "'Well, if only they knew where he had been. "'Wow.' "'And he said to them, "'What things?' And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And besides all this, it's now the third day this has happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, And they came back saying they'd even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Another translation, we had our hopes up that he was the one, the one about to deliver Israel. You know, sometimes we're disappointed because we miss the bus. Sometimes we're disappointed because... Our country seems to be going down the tube. Sometimes we're disappointed like we were a couple of years ago because we couldn't meet our relations for months and months. This disappointment was massively bigger than any of those. This was what Israel had longed for, waited for, hoped for, invested in. Jesus' disciples had invested. His followers had invested Sometimes when things don't go right for us, brothers and sisters, we feel so let down, so disillusioned, and sometimes our pride is hurt too. I was in a church many years ago that things happened that went wrong, and I remember some of the guys there, their pride was wounded because they'd invested in that, and they felt they'd been made fools of now. And it took some of them years to get over, which is very, very sad. Jesus here asks this open question, what things? And he allows them the opportunity to tell him exactly how they're feeling. They don't need to hold back. In fact, he seems to encourage them. He invites response from them. We had hoped this huge desire of the nation... Perhaps you've known deep disillusionment, deep disappointment even even bitterness of soul. The Psalms tell us to trust in him at all times. O people, it says, Psalm 62, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. You are allowed to bring all that stuff to God. Prayer in disappointment. Last year, one of my sisters became very ill. She had cancer, but it hadn't been diagnosed because of delays in the system. We went on holiday with them about this time last year, and we were so concerned because she's so lovely and she was so determined to join in and be active, but she obviously was struggling. And she said to me, Oh, Joe, it's just IBS, it's nothing. But I knew it was more than that. Something in me was very disturbed. I was very tearful when she left. It just wasn't right. About a month later, her pain was so bad, she went to A&E. They promised an investigative procedure within two weeks, having not done one for nine months. Word reached me that she was very ill. I was distraught and I got on my face before God. I honestly didn't know what else to do. I was struggling. I was struggling to form a prayer when I seemed to sense Him saying, Joe, get up. Come on, get up. Look me in the face. Lift your head. Now tell me how you feel. Tell me what's in your heart. And I just felt, you know, well, God, I'm not too... No, no, come on, come on. I want to really know. I've sensed this hat. Come on, come on. I know you. Tell me what's in your heart. I guess you could say he knew already. So why did he want me to tell him? Simply that we often mask our own feelings. We don't acknowledge what's going on within us our own doubts, our fears, etc. Sometimes in the daily humdrum of walking the daily life, it's easy, isn't it, to have a perfunctory relationship with Jesus. It's not so easy to look him in the face and tell him that you're fed up with not seeing people healed. You're fed up with reading his word where it says it will happen. When is it going to happen, God? I absolutely ranted at him. It was awful. And then I kept saying it was awful, and he kept saying, come on, come on. It was wonderful in the end. It was wonderful. I'll come back to that in a minute. A good writer who had a very difficult life said, I needed to give him my pain, not hide parts of myself. Not giving my whole self wouldn't be true worship. We don't need to push Jesus away because of our guilt, because of our lack of confidence in him. He came for that. He came for that. Do you remember the beginning of Genesis where God walks in the garden in the cool of the day? He loves his beloved children. He loves to have them with him. There's none of that obligation in Adam and Eve of we better go and see God, you know. Better go to the place where he is. It's what we do every day. It would be a good idea, wouldn't it? No, no, it's nothing like that. But Adam... Sins, Eve's sins. What do they do? They're ashamed and they hide their faces. They lose the precious relationship and the world is doomed to rejection. Deep rejection. We analyze rejection all over society. The deep roots of it, and I'll come back to roots again later, the deep roots of it are in this story. God and man divided. And it was a division for God as well as for man. He desired that fellowship. He rejoiced in that fellowship. Now Jesus invites us to turn our gaze towards him, to look into his face. He desires our gaze. Him that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. No, wait, I'm reading now from a book which some of you, I think, are familiar with. No, wait, we say, cautiously approaching Jesus. You don't understand, I've really messed up in all kinds of ways. I know, he responds, I will not cast you out. You know most of it, sure, certainly more than what others see, but there's perversity down inside me that is hidden from everyone. I know it all. Well, the thing is, it's not just my past, it's my present, too. I understand. But I don't know if I can break free of this any time soon. That's the kind of person I'm here to help. The burden is heavier, and it's getting heavier all the time. Then let me carry it. It's too much to bear. Not for me. You don't get it. My offences aren't directed towards others. They're against you, Lord. Then I am the one most suited to forgive them. But the more of the ugliness in me you discover, the sooner you'll get fed up with me. Whoever comes to me, I will never, never cast out. There is nothing you cannot tell your precious Lord Jesus. There is nothing to try and hide from him is to breed a deep spiritual cancer in your own soul, which will grow and fill your soul, whatever that thing is, and to give it to him is a joy. To know that everything is open to him, the things you won't even tell the nearest person in your life, to know that he accepts you just as you are. The Song of Solomon, the bridegroom to his beloved. My dove in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding places on the mountainside. In the hiding places, hiding away. Show me your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely it's a restoration to our souls to have this communication with our savior jesus but perhaps some of us struggle to actualize that sort of response we we do believe these tr- truths but they don't seem to they don't seem to suit us maybe we've got long held values and concepts about god from the past maybe about his love for us Maybe even we have long-held concepts about friendship itself. And sometimes when we struggle to hear God, let me suggest it may possibly be because you actually struggle with friendships in general. It may not just be with God. It may be that you're somebody who's closed off from other people as well because friendship, relationship hasn't worked for you. And then we begin to feel... But they, they seem to be enthusiastic about God, and we begin to feel condemned... But it may not just be about God. I mean, it's all about God, but it may not be just that relationship. It may be that God in Christ wants to restore relationship in you to one another as well as to him. Relationship, after all, is what our enemy, who walks about like a roaring lion, seeks to devour. He's devouring relationship. He's muddling up, confusing it messing it up. And for us in our domestic church, uh, our domestic lives and our church context, our social lives, our work lives, to have difficult relationships delights our enemy. Being open to God and letting him heal and restore those as he heals and restores you is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Sometimes, though, you think, Other people must be more holy than you. I don't hear God like that. I don't hear his voice. Sometimes other people say very quickly and glibly, Oh, God told me this. God told me that. God spoke to me. God said, you know, doesn't do that to me. Seems to not talk to me. I must be lacking something. Well, here on this dusty road, to go back to the story, Jesus doesn't actually minister to their emotional needs. He begins to instruct them. His response Having listened to them is to open the scriptures. Next slide, thanks. Then he said to them, "Oh, foolish ones!" By the way, that doesn't mean you stupid fools. It means uh, not very well educated in his in the context. Just like to say that. Then he said to them, "Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken." Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. How lovely that we had that word about roots. How lovely that it was authenticated, just as a complete aside. That was a wonderful model of what to do in a church, that somebody has the courage, and I don't know Amy, so I don't know if she does this very often, had the courage to get up and do this, and that somebody else had the courage to get up and say, yes, that was for me. It's really, really hard in church, and I'm speaking from my own very personal and present experience, actually, in a big church, to get up, to go and give what you think is a prophecy from God or a word from the Lord, and to have nobody say anything at all about it, Because then you start to sort of fish around and you hope someone will text you that day and you hope it wasn't wrong. And so many of us absolutely are programmed to fail in our heads. To have you, love, coming here and saying that that was a word that was for you was so powerful. It so blessed me. So I want to say that to you now so we can keep the ball rolling. (laughs) And it was so good. Jesus began to root them deeply in their past uh, Israel experiences. They were walking along the road with him and he gave them the Bible study of eternity. I mean, this is the best, you know, to go for a walk with Jesus, for one thing, to go for a walk, is, I love walking, to go for a walk with Jesus, but to go for a walk and have him tell you the history of Israel, see, unbelievable. I wouldn't be surprised if um, they, if, when they eventually went back to Jerusalem, if the other apostles in the future were greatly blessed by this, they would have said, what what did he say to you? So he talks to them about how the Messiah had to suffer and he starts to speak to them. If you find it hard to listen to Jesus and to hear from him when you're trying to pray, pray with your Bible open. Pray with the Bible open and open the Bible when you pray. They are two slightly different things. If you're praying and a verse comes into your head, look it up, find it. What's he saying to me today? In the book of Isaiah, verse uh, chapter 50, love this. Isaiah says, "'The Sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue "'to know the word that sustains the weary. "'He wakens me morning by morning, "'wakens my ear to listen, to listen, like one being instructed. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears and I have not been rebellious. Another translation, he made me willing to listen and not re- rebel or run away. When Jesus opens our ears, sometimes we think, if he's going to speak to me, he's going to tell me off. I mean, I've thought that all my life, actually. You know, Have you had your quiet time, girls? This is my mother. <laughs> this is my father. Was that a good message you gave? And you think, you know, you have these things. They were lovely, and I praise God for them, actually. But they were people, human. And I was pretty human myself, too. Still am. But they... You can have things put upon you as if they're threats. But when this verse in Isaiah says, he made me willing to listen and not rebel or run away... So often when we open the Bible, it's encouragement, 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 encouragement. There might just be a slight nugget of readjustment at times. Our lives must be in line with the word of God. What you said about the roots is so important for the next generation. We sang a song about the generations. These guys that he was speaking to here were really going to need this in the future Chances are that those two were persecuted because many, many, many Christians lost their lives in the next 30, 40 years from the Romans. They were going to need to have their minds not swayed by the world, but set on the path that God had set them. Our children and our grandchildren need the word of God. I would like to spend the next hour, actually, trying to convince you of the importance of that. When I was... It's my birthday in a few weeks' time, in a few days' time, in fact, this week. Um, How long have I got, Andy? Have I got a bit longer? Um, 55 years ago, it was my birthday. 55 years ago, I was 19. Don't work it out. (laughs) Because I'm getting younger every year. Um, And I had got myself into a terrible mess. I had absolutely gone away from the word of God. I tried to turn my back on it. I was in a very unwise relationship, which damaged me, actually. And um, for some reason that day, I had this little book called The Daily Light. Does anybody remember The Daily Light? Somebody remembers. It was select verses for the day. And if you were not careful, you used it as a horoscope, you know, what's God saying to me today? (gasps) I will never leave you, something's going to go wrong. But I picked this up that morning in my confusion and despair and thinking, oh, God's going to give me comfort today. And it was a verse out of Jeremiah and it said, your word was a burning fire in my heart and I couldn't bear to keep it in and I had to go out and I had to tell others and it seemed totally irrelevant to me at the time, completely irrelevant. But the word of God was a burning fire in my heart. The word of God over the next few months burnt out some of the misconceptions and eventually burnt in love for Jesus again. What I didn't understand was this was meant to be an encouragement, not a slap in the face. And revelation through the word of God, as you pray... And praying the revelation into being, even in that dark place where I had tried to abandon my beliefs. Even then, it was strong. And it's only this week I've, I've hardly ever, I've hardly ever gone back to that place. I've never talked about it before. Um, it still, you know, makes it shocks me. And it was still such a wonderful place in some ways. It could still deceive me. But I did go back this week, and I just began to see how the God of eternity had taken a life that was crowded with thorns and brambles and thistles, which is where my mind was. And 55 years later, I suddenly realised he has planted oak trees oaks of righteousness in that infertile soil last week I stood next to my granddaughter the youngest of three up in Manchester and heard her little voice singing this morning Naomi was singing away the word of God is going into those children through the worship through the stories even now as they meet together it's so powerful God can use any of you however thorny your life soil has been. He can turn it into a fertile ground where oaks of righteousness can spring up. And I am immeasurably blessed to know that. And there are times when we seem, as I said, to walk through life and it doesn't seem to be very It's quite mundane, isn't it? Serving God can be quite mundane. Coming to church, even at times, can be not the highlight of your life. Sometimes your prayer life goes through a sort of slightly religious phase where you just do it because you think you ought to. But sometimes extraordinary things happen as you meet God in prayer. And I just want to go back to the story about my sister. What I didn't know that morning, as I was on my face before God, was that her son and his sister, my my nephew and niece, had been conferring together and thought, enough is enough, Mum needs real help now. And they had phoned a friend of theirs, who was a consultant in in the South, and he knew somebody in a London hospital who he phoned, and he said, you've got to get her to hospital now. He said, don't mess about, take her from where she is and get her in the car, they lived in Kent, and take her up to St Thomas's in London. And somehow, with her husband sitting on the back seat with her lying, obviously, her head in his lap, she was in great pain and danger, they took her to St Thomas's hospital. Cut back to me praying, I suddenly had in my mind the story of Paul and Silas in prison. And as I was standing there before God, I started to sing, My chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose. I thought, what am I doing singing about chains falling off? I was crying my eyes out. It wasn't very good singing, it was sobbing and hiccuping, my chains fell off. And I thought, why am I doing this? And I began to pray, God, open doors, open doors, open doors, open doors. At that time, probably the same time, they got to St Thomas's. They didn't have a letter of introduction, nothing. They went straight into A&E, they went straight into triage, she went straight into x-rays and scans and all sorts of stuff. And then by about five o'clock that afternoon, she was in a side (coughs) ward being prepped for what was to be a massive, massive operation. And the consultant afterwards said she wouldn't have lived for 48 hours longer. In fact, if they had done that procedure, they'd promised her in the other hospital, it would have been the end for her. She couldn't have taken it. It was a huge operation. She was very ill for three weeks after that, but she recovered very, very well. And then she had another dip in December, um, which was a sort of chemotherapy uh, overdose thing, which damaged her quite badly. But again, we all prayed and sought God. And last week... She cycled 25 miles with her husband. And God could do this without any of us, but he chose. I'm not saying that those prayers of mine were the key, but he chose to involve me. There is nothing so exciting as being involved in prayer with the Lord Jesus. Let me push on quickly. It's... It's as if you develop a hunger more for him and you get into the slipstream of his spirit and discover what the spirit is doing. Where did we get to in the reading? Yeah. So let's get to verse 28. Let's see what happens next. They're going along this road and Jesus is giving them this amazing Bible study. And then they get near to the village where they're going. And they very obviously want him to stay, not just because they're fascinated by what he has to say, but because they're good Middle Eastern hospitable people and they don't want him to go without their hospitality. Jesus loves it when we invite him to stay. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, any man, and open the door, I will come in and I will sup with him, I will share his table you know what that means in Middle Eastern life in those days. It meant, I will build a covenant relationship. It's the ceiling of a covenant relationship to eat. And like Jacob in Genesis in the Old Testament, who said to the Lord, I will not let you go until you bless me. These guys want him to come in, but they don't even know who he is. They just know that this man is doing them good. You may not know who Jesus is today. I don't know. I don't know all of you. You may just know him as a man who seems to be doing everybody else good. Today you can say, Please come in, Lord. Please come in, share my table. Because he says, Anyone who asks, anyone, anyone, I will come in. And actually, I've lifted that scripture, and he was saying it to a church. And that church was neither hot nor cold, and he says various other things, but then he says, anyone can come in. So even if you've known Jesus all your life, but your prayer life has become a bit dull and a bit blunted and a bit mundane, you can say that too. Come in, Lord. Come in today. The last few years, that's been the biggest prayer of my life. Come to me, Lord. Come to me. Don't leave me. Come in, I want to welcome you. I want to make a dwelling place for you. It's not a question of I want to be a better person. I want a place where you can dwell. So they urged him and he went in to stay with them. Psalm 63, I cling to you and you will not let me go. There is such a pleasure of the Father God as we hold on to his son. A friend of mine became a Christian eighteen months ago. It was a that was a long story I could tell you actually, but it's not time. But she became a Christian through her husband coming back to God with an incurable cancer. And he's David and I are still praying for him all the time that God will heal him. We haven't seen it yet, but we're praying. But his wife never been to church, wasn't a churchgoer. She was so gobsmacked at his coming back to God. Because he's a of a beggar and he's a bit of a piece of work, he's our friend. He's uh yeah. But she saw such a change in him that she went to his baptism a few weeks later. Then she went on an alpha. And she has just sort of come in as if this is where she wanted to be all her life. And on Monday she said to me, um, Tuesday, I think it was she said, she turned to me and she said, Um, you know, I just talked to Jesus all day. I thought How wonderful. She's got it. She's got it. She hasn't been taught how to pray. She just has conversations with Jesus. It was so lovely. I thought, thank you, Lord. That was such a lovely thing. The pleasure of the Father as we welcome his son. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. If you're... Christian life is getting tired, and then Jesus comes into it, suddenly you can run another seven miles back to Jerusalem. Fabulous, isn't it? I think I I did a round walk the other day, and it came to seven miles altogether, but the thought of starting it off again and going the other way, actually it didn't worry me, but I would have found it... But but these guys, they were energised by the presence of Jesus. Has the presence of Jesus energised your life recently? Have you known his presence in the sense that you want to go and share it with other people or go and share it with your fellowship because this is what they were doing. They wanted to share it with other people. Do you have that desire to have real shared fellowship with one another? The power of prayer together as we sit at table with the Lord and he opens our eyes. This was such an important thing for these two disciples because, in fact, they were authenticating each other's witness. Because they were together with Jesus, not just one of them having that experience. The two could back each other's story up, they could authenticate it. The two could build each other up, the reverse of how I started, dragging each other down. The two could build one another up and they could go to the disciples and build them up too. We all know the verse, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them, hovering above, <laughs> in a sort of little cloud. How lovely, how lovely. And so we think at times, perhaps we ought to pray. And we all stop our conversations and we lower our voices. And there's dead silence, and you think who's gonna break it, who's gonna break it, who's gonna break it? And we do these sort of tuts. You have noticed that in Christians, everywhere. yes, Lord, and we sort of make noises, and then somebody says a prayer, and somebody else does, and it's all very nice. Okay, sorry, that's a horrible caricature, and I'm sure it doesn't happen here. But, <laughs> <laughs> but my granddaughter Daisy, who was seventeen yesterday, can you believe seventeen granddaughter? <gasps> it's getting so old. Um, my granddaughter Daisy loves chocolate. She can be induced to take a walk on Boxing Day if there is hot chocolate in the flask. So when her mum came back one day, I was in, up there in Manchester in their house, when her mum came back and said, Daisy, there's a chocolate shop opening in Wilmslow. She said, I'm there. Her immediate response. And I prayed for her that week and thought about it. So I was smiling about this and Jesus said to me, I believe Jesus said to me, that's exactly how I feel when two or three are gathered together. I'm there. And do you know that has altered my whole feeling about praying with other people. When Jesus sees two people together, <laughs> I'm there. What They're going to pray. They're going to meet. We're welcoming him in to our prayers. It's wonderful. He loves to be with us when we meet He loves to be here. Let me hear your voice. Let me see your face. Your face is lovely. Your voice is sweet. He adores us. We are the apple of his eye. It's astonishing. The real rugged fellowship of prayer, because there's one thing that prevents that. Bible says when we meet together in prayer I would that all men would pray Paul says in Timothy lifting up holy hands without arguing and without dissenting that's just the caveat he doesn't love to be there we have the privilege of Jesus in our midst but we have to have our hands clean. It's so different from thinking, am I good enough? It's thinking, I don't want Jesus not to be here. It's a very different thing. I, I so want him to be with me. I don't want to mess my life up. I don't want to let my family down because I want Jesus in the midst. And we can quench that spirit, can't we? We can quench that spirit, but there is a way back because him that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. He will take that. He will take that sin and he will cleanse us. He will come to cleanse us. To just quote the Anglican prayer at communion. We do not presume to come to this your table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your abundant and great mercies. Oh, how he loves you and me. Do you go to Jesus with everything? Do you go to Jesus with your joys, with your sorrows? Do you have a constant running conversation with him? Like a child with his parents? Sometimes inconsequential, sometimes muddled and confused, but he's there and you're talking to him and he's listening. Do you hear him? Or do you hear him in the words as you open it? The end of this book I absolutely love. The Christian life boils down to two steps. Number one, go to Jesus. Number two, see number one. (laughs) Amen.